for the Lord that is true. Lord, that your word is life. That Holy Spirit, again, we ask that um, as you reveal the truth of who God is, who Jesus is to our hearts, that we will us to be open to what you want to say today. And uh, Lord, as we um, dive into this new series of God, I pray again that we would, um, our hearts would be awakened to the things of God. We'd stir up our, our affections and our love for Jesus even more. We'll be honored you, we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're starting this uh, new series called The Last Sermon. People here, you're wondering where I'm going with this. Not my last sermon. Some of you guys may be cheering. Some of you guys may be disappointed. I don't know, but it's not my last sermon. Um, I'll talk to you a little bit about what I mean by that um, as we move along. This has actually been something that's been kind of stirring on my heart actually for the last several years. Um, uh, every once in a while, I... Uh, I will just pull this text that we're going to be looking at over several weeks. It's actually, um, this, this series is going to lead us into the Easter season. Um, that's how long it's going to be. Um, but I, I, it's such rich reading and studying. Um, and it's, it's specifically from John, John chapter 13 through 17. The Gospel of John chapter 13 through 17. Um, I'm calling it last time again. I'll explain to you what I mean by that. But we're going to be taking an in-depth look, unpacking what I call Jesus' last sermon before he was arrested and crucified, found in, in, in John's Gospel of, 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 of chapter 13 through 17. I encourage you over these next weeks to, to, to read this, this text, um, 13 through 17, what, what was God, what was Jesus saying, why did he say what he was saying, uh, meditate on it, study it, and um, again, we're going to be diving into this in a little bit more of an in-depth way. This is his last moment, somewhat of the last 24 hours of his life before he, again, is arrested and crucified. And so here's the context of where we're going to go, and I want to, it's been very important that we have context. Most of you, if you read the Gospels, you know, Matthew and Mark and Luke, the other Gospels, they give us a snapshot of what happened when Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. Remember in the Easter season that... You know, they go and they go into this room and he's celebrating Passover with them and he's revealing that he's uh, the fulfillment of the Passover. Remember, it's where we get communion and he breaks the bread with them. He gives them the wine. He says, this is my body. This is my blood. Um, it's just for you. And, uh, and, and so the other gospels just give us a little snapshot. We have a little bit of conversation. We have the, uh, the whole thing that goes down with Judas where... Um, you, you know, he's dipping the you know the bread in the bowl and and, 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 and the whole thing where Jesus leaves and, and, and John does that too. But um, the other gospels just simply give us a little bit of a snapshot. John gives us detail, and I, and I love that. And, and, and again, not that not that the, the other other writers of the gospel didn't think it was important, but all of the gospels work cohesively together to tell us the story of Jesus. You know, some some emphasize things more than others, and, and and they all work cohesively. These four books of the Gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. John, um, who he, I love that he called himself the beloved disciple. Don't you like that? I mean, in the book he says, "I'm the beloved disciple, the one that Jesus loved." And as we heard this morning, you know what? We can all say that we're the one that Jesus loved. And I think that that was the revelation that he was trying to give us. But he, again, he, 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 he is going to open up in detail of what happens 
in that room with Christ, the things that he says to the disciples, and, and so he, he unpacks it in what we have done, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. All of this leading up to John 18, where his arrest is. And so, what, what we're going to get, get to hear what he is instilling into these guys' hearts before he dies. What does he say? Why does he say it? What does he do? Why is he doing the things that he's doing? Now, ultimately, we know the rest of the story. Don't you love the, that we know the ending of the story? John 18 is a really bad thing. You know, he's arrested. Um, but it was the, the, the plan to fulfill that he was going to die for us. He was arrested. We know the good news, though, is that he did not stay dead. That he died on the cross, but he rose from the dead. He defeated death hell and the grave. And so we, we know the rest of the story, and so that's awesome. But, and, and, but what we're going to do is we're going to spend this time looking at the things that he said, ultimately, not just to them, but to us. If it was just simply to them, we would not have the account. John would not give us the account. He would just, John would have said, and we had this time with Jesus that I'm not going to tell you about. But he unpacks it because ultimately the Word of God is for us. It wasn't just for them. It was also for us. And so um, he, he, we, we also know that Jesus, when he rises from the dead, he spends time with his followers. So it's not like that he just rose from the dead. And when he was 40 days on the earth after he rose from the dead, so he spends more time with his disciples. But this is kind of this, this last sermon, if you will, this last gathering this last time with them before he would die, and the things that he wants to instill into their hearts. So there's much to take to heart as followers of Jesus for ourselves in these chapters. And so if you were going to die, and you knew the date, I mean, and we don't, because it's appointed for us to, once for a man to die, and then we face the judgment, the Bible says, and so... But if he knew, and Jesus, you know, several times in the Gospels, it says he knew his hour was coming. So Jesus knew. And so, you know, you think about it, if you knew, if you knew the day you were going to die. And, and, and it's interesting because this is the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, and so he knew tomorrow I'm going to go to the cross. But if you knew that, what are the things that you would do with the people that are around you, the people that you love, your family members, those closest to you? What would you say? And, and I submit it would be the most important things, right? Especially as people of God, if you're, if you're walking with Christ, you know, and, and when we talk about bucket lists, well, I'd like to do bucket lists. You know, if you knew I have this amount of time, you know, unless you knew it way, way out, you know, the, the first thing you're not thinking of, or I wouldn't, especially as a follower of Christ, is to go skydiving. Now, I'd like to do that sometime with a parachute. <laughs> then you would know that was your day, right? It's like the one comedian who said, I'm not worried about if it's my time to go, and I'm not following the airplane, I'm worried about if it's the pilot's time to go. <clears throat> but you would be talking about the important things, right? You would be focusing in on truths that, that don't forget. Don't forget, I love you. Never forget this. Never forget that. It would be the things that, it would be some preparation. 
that you would be given to some, some wisdom, but you would be instilling the most important things, knowing what was ahead, that you were going to be gone. And I'm, I'm, I'm giving you this so that when I'm gone, you will have this. That is what we see. We get to have this. We get to kind of be, because of what John wrote, we get to be the fly on the wall and, 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 and hear what he is saying, not, not just to them, but ultimately to us. The implications of what Jesus was saying to them and us preparing them to be the church, right? That these guys would be the ones who would carry the torch to become the church. Little did they know, and they didn't, you know, they had heard Jesus talk about, you know, that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed to sinners, and sometimes I think that they thought that it was, he was just metaphorically speaking. The one time where he said, you know, that um, we're going to go die, and, you know, one of the disciples goes, let's go die with Jesus, and, and, and they didn't realize that he's talking like literally dying. So they didn't get a lot of them. He was trying to instill into them, they were, they were going to become the, 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 the forerunners of the church. He would die and raise from, you know, the dead, and then they would go and ask go to the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes, Acts two, right? And we have the the birthday of the church, and He's preparing them to start and be the church. And so through John thirteen through seventeen, you see things of serving, self-sacrificial love, hope in times of trouble, hope for eternity, what it means to walk in peace. Staying connected to Jesus and others. Who gave us the passage from John 15? That's one of them. That's one of the things that he was emphasizing. Staying connected to Jesus and the others. He gives the promise of the Holy Spirit. Who the Holy Spirit is. What the Holy Spirit will do. And then he, in John 17, prays for us. And there's the theme of unity that I talked about last week. But it was the ingredients to start and sustain the church. So this last sermon that he preaches is not just for them, it is for us. It's interesting, the first sermon that he preaches that we have, in contrast to the last one, the first sermon is the Sermon on the Mount. Remember Matthew chapter 5 through 7, he gathers together with his disciples and he's going to begin to talk to them. Well, as he does, the crowd begins to gather around and then we have the Sermon on the Mount. So he goes from a teaching on to his disciples to begin to declare to the crowd. Here you have the opposite. We're actually, as the, as the preview to John 13 through 17, we're going to start at the end of John 12. Because at the end of John 12, he makes this last declaration to the crowd that's there, then he moves into the room where he would have the Passover, and he begins to instill into the disciples. And so it's kind of interesting that that happened. But he does start his last sermon with the crowd. So this is kind of an intro to the series. And so just in, again, in context, John 12, we have the triumphal entry. Remember, he rides in on a donkey and he's yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. And so Jesus is speaking to the crowd. He's predicting his death. He's revealing that he is the Messiah. It's interesting that he... He talks about their unbelief, the unbelief of the people. Verse 37 of John 12, he thinks that despite all the miraculous signs that he did, most of the people still did not believe in him. And that's, let me hit the pause button. That's very important for us to understand. God does miracles. 
But we can't just be spaces of miracles because we get our eyes off the one who is himself the miracle. He can do miracles. He does miracles. And I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish this, but a lot of times what we can do is we just get, we start chasing the miraculous instead of chasing Christ himself. And that's what these people, and he had seen it over and over. They had, despite the miraculous, they saw him raise the dead. They saw blind eyes popping open. I mean, they saw dramatic, miraculous things. Just despite this, they didn't still didn't believe him. So the miraculous can confirm, but I'm telling you, if your heart's not in the right place, it doesn't matter. That's why in John 6, people are demanding that he give it. You want us to believe in us? In you? We demand a miraculous sign. And he said, I'm not going to do that. He's got a wicked generation to seek the sign. And that's that. He's chasing the miraculous and chasing signs and wonders. He likens that to a wicked generation. He said, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah, who was in the belly of the whale for three days. And what, what was that? It was, a, it was a fourth shadow of him. I'll be in the ground three days. Here's the sign I'm going to give you. I'm going to die for your sins, and I'm going to rise from the dead victorious, and I'm going to make a way for you. That's what we need. Again, we can do signs and wonders, and we can do that stuff, but we should never taste that stuff. So the people did not believe. And so that leads us to John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50. That's what we're going to be today. you got your Bible, you turn it, or it'll be up on the screen. So, totally up to you. So he's addressing the crowd, and this is right before he goes into the room where he will share the Passover meal with his disciples, starting in John 13. So let's look at what he said. Jesus shouted to the crowds. Okay, that's real important. Can you read that? Okay, so too dark. Jesus shouted to the crowds. If you trust me, you are trusting not only in me but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in the dark world, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. Verse 47, I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me, for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. Before you hang on to that, it says that he's never going to judge. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by what? The truth I have spoken. I don't speak of my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. So these are his last words to the crowd. There are people that are gathering there now, minus he does take some things from the cross. You know, he, so this is not you know, completely the very last words, but this is kind of his last declaration. So what is he saying? What is he revealing? And I pray that God would give us ears to hear because we are... We are the crowd, and we are also his disciples. It's interesting that it says this um, at the beginning of this, that Jesus shouted to the crowds the word there. This is more than a campfire talk with this guy. This is more than a peaceful kind of moment with his disciples going, guys are pretty cool. As he shouts to the crowds, this is a loud, somber declaration. He's trying to get their attention. So the word shouts there. It's more than just screaming at them. There is something in fact, there's something heavy on his heart. He understands what he's getting ready to do. 
And here's the thing in verse 37, and that's why I talked about that. He has, he has seen their unbelief. And he's grieved for them, somewhat like the prophets of old. He had been among them, and yet they would reject him. At the beginning of John 12, remember Hosanna, Hosanna. He knew some of these same people that were waving palm branches. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Some of them waving palm branches one day, yelling, crucify him in a couple more days. How easy we can go from Hosanna to crucify him when things aren't going our way. When we just follow Christ out of what we can, what's in it for me. And then things don't go like we think that they should do. And we, we can turn on him and we can have our own little Hosanna versus crucify him moment. Not that we would yell crucify, but it's, we pushed away from him when things maybe don't go our way. And that was the unbelief of the people. And especially his closest, those people that were closest to him. They were struggling. They thought he was going to take over. They thought he was going to, he's going to wipe out the bad guys and he's going to be the ultimate good guy. We're going to be on his team and we're going to, we're going to win. And ultimately, yes, that is true and he would win, but it would not be in the way that they thought. He's literally going to be scourged, beaten within an inch of his life and then crucified on a cruel cross for us. And they saw that as to be even his disciples scattered and ran. And so Jesus is shouting to the crowds. He's making this declaration. He's trying to get their attention. And what does he say in these verses, the scriptures here? What he's doing is he's declaring once again his identity. So he's saying, uh, you know, because he knew I'm getting ready to go into this quiet place with my disciples. He's yelling to the crowd. And he's, he's saying, here's who I am. Don't forget it. And here's why I came. Don't forget it. And so it was his identity. And his mission, once again, his identity and his mission, you see that through these three verses. And so he said, if you trust me, and you see it up on screen, if you trust me, you are trusting not only me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. He was declaring that he was sent by God. They, again, they, they understood Yahweh. These were, most of them were Jewish people. They understood that who Yahweh, the God, you know, um, God eternal was. And he said, I, you know, the one you're trying to, the one you say you worship, I was sent by him. He sent me. And not only did he send me, I am him. I am a part of him. And he was saying that he, he was the rescue plan. He is the thing. He's the Messiah. He's the thing. I'm the Messiah that you've been looking for. The one you've been studying about. The one that you've been reading about. The one that promised of the prophets long ago. I'm here. I am him. And he's once again trying to instill his identity as Messiah. I am the rescue plan. I'm the Savior. I'm God's plan of salvation. But he was also declaring that he was he himself was God. What does he say? When you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. Powerful, profound words. That was one of the reasons why a lot of them rejected him, is because he was declaring himself as God. The deity of Christ that I am I am God. I'm fully man, but I'm also fully God. When you see me, you you see the one who sent me. He's the second part of the triune God, the third being the Holy Spirit. 
And so, it's important that we understand that Jesus was sent by the Father. This is a declaration of who He is, but also that He is Himself God. Listen to what He says in other places. John 14. So let's say to Him, Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. Jesus said, Have I been with you so long? You still do not know me, Philip? What's Philip saying? Show us the Father. He says, I've been with you. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? He's declaring himself as God. John 1. No one's ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Jesus was coming. John 1 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word being Jesus. Listen to what Paul says, Colossians 1. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God, was pleased to dwell. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Folks, Jesus was God. And he's declaring this. Again, this is very important. And maybe it's like, well, I already believe that. Wonderful. Keep meditating on who he is. It's very easy for us to go into unbelief when we forget who he is and who we are in him. Hebrews, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He contains everything by the mighty power of his command. So Jesus is the sustaining power. Is the heart of God. And then here's the very personal side of who Jesus is as God in the flesh. So there's one God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ, Jesus. So it's important to the cross, important to us that Jesus is God manifested as the Son. God did something about sin and brokenness. He came, He died for us, and He came to rescue us. He's the only way we can be saved. This is why we are here. This is, he is the only way we can be saved. He is the only mediator between God and man. We can't find our own way. We can't be good enough. Morality will never get us there. Jesus came to the cross to rescue us as the mediator between God and man. There are no other mediators. There are no other ways except Jesus Himself. And I know that sounds very exclusive. Well, it's the Word of God. It's why we are here. He said it, not me. And going back to our text, in verse 46, he says, I have come as light to shine in the dark world so that all who have put trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. He is declaring his mission. Throughout Scripture, living in sin away from God and its ways, being God of your own life, is likened unto living in darkness. That's why Jesus says, I am the light. I came as the light. Interestingly enough, that title is the only title he also gives to us. He says, I am the light of the world, John. I mean, I'm Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, and you are the light of the world. When you have me in you, you're shining as light into the world. And so, throughout Scripture, away from God, living in sin is likened living in darkness. Sin is darkness. Jesus is light. Darkness is death. Jesus is life. Darkness is bondage. Jesus is freedom. Look at a couple of these scriptures. And the judgment is based on this fact. This is a very profound statement by Jesus. And Jesus is saying, as John 3, the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, Jesus, for people of the darkness more than light, and their functions were evil. And so, 
Jesus came in as light, and here's the judgment, is that He came, and I reject Him, and I run into darkness. Isaiah 5, this is a prophetic thing back in, in 700 years before Jesus came. The sinners of the Christ, that those who call evil good, good evil, and evil good, who substitute darkness for light, and light for darkness. Those are who are, those who are walking in sin. Romans 1, for although they knew God, it's important, they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Folks, that's a, that's a sobering passage. They knew God, but they didn't honor Him as God. So we can have this maybe working head knowledge to, oh yeah, I believe in God. And again, believe, the de- the, James says the demons believe in trouble at the name of Jesus, but that doesn't make them Christians. So it's more than a belief that, 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 I'm, that I'm, you know, my head knowledge that I believe it up here. It's a, it's a transformational knowledge thing, and I believe to the point that it affects how I live, that I understand who He is, the truth of who He is. They said they they knew God, but they didn't honor Him as God. Relying on their own thinking and their own ways, a little Jesus on the side, if you will, to honor Him as God is that He is God in everything. He calls us God, He is God, and we are not. This is how we understand Jesus being the light. And the good news is John 8, 12. I love this. Jesus says, when Jesus spoke again to people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is light. He is our light. He was reiterating his mission as being the light of the world. And guys, he's the only way out of darkness. He's the only way out of darkness. He is the only escape. And then the last thing he says to the crowd is there will be a judgment. Again, sorry for backtracking here. He says there will be a judgment. Verse 47, I will not judge those who fear me or condemn those who fear me, but don't obey me. For I have come to save the world and not to judge it. But all who reject me and my message will be judged in the day of judgment by what? See that? By the truth. By the truth. And I think I actually have that. Didn't even have to go back. Boom, there it is. There will be a judgment. One of our favorite passages, John 3 16, God who loved the world and he gave it only God and Son, right? And right after that, John 3 17 said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And that is very true of what he says here in John 12. He reiterates that to the crowd. And he does say, There will be a judgment. And the judgment will be the truth that he spoke. How do we honor Him as God? What Romans says is they knew Him as God, but they didn't honor Him as God, is that we, we say He is the truth. What He says is the truth. And I will believe Him and I will follow Him. So there will be a judgment. He will be a judge. All who reject Him and His message will be judged by the scrutiny of who He is and what He has spoken. By the authority of God the Father whose commands lead to eternal life. And so he says, the truth that I have spoken, in other words, all the things that I have been telling you, that's your judgment, not just the parts we like. Isn't it easy for us to do that? I like this one. We put this one up on our fridge, and this one makes me uncomfortable. 
Because he, he said loving things, he said caring things, but he said some heavy things. I mean, he says, I love you with an, un, an everlasting love. We heard that. And he reiterates his love for us over and over. But he also says, you have to repent and turn from your sins and turn to me. Because that's the way you find life. So we'll be judged by the truth of who Jesus is and his words, not the truth of our own choosing. We don't get to make up the truth. The truth is done. It's settled. Jesus is the truth. It's not a truth, not, not truth the way you and I perceive it. It's not truth that is relative. Relativism has invaded our culture. It's invaded the church. Relativism is how it relates to me. That's your truth, not my truth. In Christ, we can't say that. He is the truth. His words are the truth. That's our standard. The truth of Jesus himself is life and his words. In this last declaration of the cross, Jesus is revealing who he is. He's fully man and he's fully God. His words are truth. And the question is, is he your God? Is he your Savior? Is he your rescuer? Do you walk with him? Do you give your life to him every day? He reveals the mission that he is the light of the world, the rescuer from sin and darkness. Not one of many ways out of darkness, the only way out of darkness. And that we repent, that we put our hope and our trust in his hands. And the last thing he yells again, he's groaning to the crowd as he says, There will be a judgment for all people. It will be based on him. He says, I didn't come to the world. In other words, I came on a rescue mission. I came because I love you. I came to give my life because you can't save yourself. You can't pay for your own sins. I came to do that for you. And that's why his, when he first came, born as a baby, raised, his, it was a rescue mission. And then he would ultimately die and raise, be raised to life. Go, now he's at the right hand of the Father. He's preparing a place for us. We'll hear about that in John 14. But one day he will come again. And he will come as judge. And he says, those who reject me, reject my words, reject the truth of who I am, You've chosen your own truth. You've chosen your own way. You've rejected him as God. He said, there will be a judgment. You will be judged simply by the truth. And so how can a loving God be a judge? Is, is he says, that my judgment is based on who I am, what I said, me as the truth. And if you don't live underneath that, the judgment is upon me. That's how a loving God, because he is the standard. His words are life, the truth. He is the light. He gives us life to the fullest. He is the only mediator between God and man. He is the only way to salvation. He is to your light. He is to your Savior. He is your rescuer. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, what will you do with Christ today? And so this intro will lead us into next week, John 13. I encourage you again, 13 through 17, that we let's read it together. And through this time, I'm, I'm, I'm dedicating myself to just read it and, and, and instead of just I will get sermons, but I want to do. I want to have more than the sermons. I want. I want it to give me life, and I encourage you to read through it. Read through it again. See what Jesus did. See what He said. This last sermon is infusing into His disciples, into us as the church. And what He's saying to us. Will you stand? Jesus, You are truth. You are life. You are light.
You are our rescue out of darkness. Lord, you came on the most intense rescue mission of all uh, of all history. A spiritual rescue mission for the souls of mankind. Knowing that in sin, Lord, we, we, we don't have a chance because we are all broken sinners and we need you. And so your response to our sinfulness and our brokenness was to come to you. To come and bring us out of darkness, to come and give us life, to come and reveal yourself as truth. And Lord, not a truth of our own demise, of our own definition, not a truth that we make up, not a truth that is relative to me and not relative to you, but you came, Lord, as the standard of truth, your words, your life, the Savior of the world. And Lord, I pray that we have ears to hear as you shouted to the crowd that day. That we would hear your shout to us. I'm fully man and I'm fully God. I'm the mediator between God and man. I am your rescue. I am your way to salvation. There are no other ways to salvation except through me. But we would hear your voice. We would hear your heart. That we would soberly walk in that reality and give you our hearts every day. God, I pray for your us and pray for your people. I pray that we would wake up every day and say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you my day. You are the truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome day and an awesome week.